want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always read a passage from the scriptures together aloud. I'll, I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen and you can follow along. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it. We're going to be looking at this today and uh, we'll be referencing it. So here we go. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by this, his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. In verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, what I'm trying to accomplish is dig a little bit into your heart. Uh, the series that we just came out of uh, called Overwhelmed and then this series and then the series after on the other side of Easter really for me is one big series that I've broken up into three component parts uh, hoping to dig into your heart in a good way. Uh, the series we just came through uh, when we talked about being overwhelmed is uh, hopefully you discovered the things that are stopping you, uh, hurt, pain, unforgiveness, bitterness. Uh, this series, Enough, is uh, discover, hopefully you'll discover the things that are defining you uh, in ways that God does not define you, and you would define the definition of your life in who Jesus is. And then on the other side of Easter, the series we're going to do is, as I hope you can discover who God has called you to be and how you can actually be that person in your everyday life. And so this is a, a three-part series to try and uh, dig into your heart so that you could become a person who's content, and we're in this series, learning that what Paul calls, the Apostle Paul, in this letter to the Christians at uh, ancient Philippi, the ancient city of Philippi in Turkey, the secret of contentment. Now, last week we talked about having enough, and that if you're going to learn the secret of contentment, you have to start with the things that you have and the stuff that you have. And so we challenge you to uh, go home, and for the duration of the series, purge five things a day. Uh, give them away, donate them, burn them, I don't really care what, just something <laughs> with those five things a day. And I've been doing that. Uh, if you, uh, on Facebook, I'd love to be your friend on Facebook. Uh, you, know, uh, we can, we, you can follow me on Facebook and see my progress. Um, but how many of you have been doing that this week, taking that, that kind of purge? Yeah, several of you. And, and several of you have told me, you know, this is, uh, it's been like a, 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 a not a, just a stuff cleaning, but it's been like a soul cleaning. Like I'm holding on to other things too that I need to let go of. So if you want to jump in on that, you can, you can pick that up because you learn the secret of contentment. It's not a, not a thing that's just dumped into your soul. You learn it. You learn the secret. I have enough. And then we're, we're praying this very simple prayer about everything that we spend in the course of the series. Uh, and the very simple prayer is, Lord, is this where it goes? It recognizes that what you have is a gift from God and that we, you and I are merely stewards of it. And, and Lord, is, is, it, is it here? Is it here? And then April the 8th and the 15th, we have a financial tune-up. If that would help you, that would be a, a tool that can help you as well. But today, what I want to talk to you about is the pressure that we all feel to do enough to prove our value and our worth. Do you feel that pressure? i, I got to do more, and if I do more, then I am valued. If I do more, I get the right grades. If I do more, I get a bigger, bigger paycheck. If I do more, people like me. 
it's a pressure that we feel. And I want to point out three things that everybody in this room wrestles with about that very issue because it's a very, very human issue. Um, And the first one is this, when we're trying to prove our value, is that you and I live under the pressure of, uh, of labels, I, um, I have here in my pocket some labels that I cut off of uh, some clothes uh, that were in my closet. And this one is, uh, it has, I don't, maybe you can't see it, but it's got three little stripes, recognizable little stripes of a brand, a brand name athletic uh, a co- company that's global and international. And um, these are from my workout pants. When I go to the gym, I put these pants on because I want people to know that I'm serious about being there and I belong there. People are like, oh, he's wearing that brand. He must know what he's doing here. Now, you may say, uh, that's really weird of you. You know you do the same thing too, right? (laughs) Uh, I've got this. I found this in the back of my closet. It's going to have to be a part of my purge. Um, If you play golf, you'll recognize this almost instantly. Uh, But this is from a pair of pants that my brother-in-law, who sells this kind of stuff, gave me at Christmas a couple years ago, and I've never worn uh, <clears throat> and it's from a brand, and the brand name is Ping. Now, if you're a golfer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you show up to the golf, if you show up to a golf course and uh, you pull out your pings, everyone's like, "Oh, look at that dude! He's got some game. Uh, he's got pings. He must know what he's doing. He must be doing the right things because only one someone who's doing the right things would have some pings. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but they're just labels." Uh, here's one uh, from some, uh, a brand that makes uh, work clothes, Carhartt, um, and maybe you're one of the dudes, it's like I wear, I, I, when I go to work, I wear the right kind of stuff. Like not the stuff that's all frou-frou and frilly and all about fashion, uh, but I wear, the right, I wear the right stuff. You know, I, I got the right label that says I'm, I'm a hard worker and I know how to work hard. Or, or maybe you're the person uh, who says, oh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't worry about labels, I'm above all that, and that's your label. <laughs> but these are, these are labels, right? These are, these are labels that get put on us and that we live under the pressure of having those labels. And, and it's not just what we wear, it's who we are. You and I are labeled all the time. Fat, thin, rich, poor, smart, dumb, tough, weak, when I was a freshman in high school, we lived in, my family lived in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, where I started high school my freshman year uh, was at Parkview High School, home of the Vikings. And um, our, we were one of five high schools in the city, and we were kind of the gritty high school. We were the, the working class high school. Um, we were just kind of like back in the day of stoners and mullets and kinds of really sad and depressing things like that. Uh, that was us. And across town, uh, named after an Indian tribe that was uh, from the area, was Kickapoo High School. <laughs> Kickapoo, isn't that like, like the craziest name? Kickapoo was where all the kids whose uh, daddies bought them a Beamer so they could drive to school went to school. And we love to talk, make fun of their name, like you went out into a field to Kickapoo and... I didn't know anybody who went to that high school, and I understood, though, that there were labels and that you would label, oh, you're one of those people from that place. And so I engaged in the name-calling. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's from Kickapoo. I, I bought into the, the message and into the lie that the labels matter. Have you ever done that? 
Like the labels other people give you that they, that they matter. So in, in this labeling game, there is a, a labeler, the person who gives the label, and then there is the label E, the person who earns the label. And they work in a kind of symbiotic relationship where the one needs the other. The, the labeler has worked hard enough to earn the place of being able to say you fit or you don't fit, and the label E agrees that that's what it is and takes pride in the fact when they've worked hard enough to earn that label. That's how it works, and so we, that's why we are labeled based on what we do. Like, I'm a success, I'm a failure, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm in the right, or I'm in the wrong. Um, we search, that search for that right label forces us to do things to earn the label, and this is, this is what we believe at the core of our being. We believe that if we do enough, then we will earn our way up the pecking order, and then we can finally be one of the people giving out the labels. You and I live under the pressure of labels. Uh, but there's another thing going on too is that we can't actually ever do enough because enough always changes. You can't ever get there because there's no there there. <laughs> it always changes. Like you, you get thin and then you find out you're not thin enough. You got to 20% body fat and then you found out that you're supposed to be 15% body fat. And then you get 15% body fat and then you find out you're supposed to be 10% body fat. And you're never enough. Or you get some money and then you find out that it's not enough, that somebody else has more money. Or, that, or you get some education and you find out that you're not smart enough or you find out that you're not tough enough. And when you get there, wherever there is, you find out that the marker has changed. And how can you ever achieve your full value when the market price for you is always in flux? How can you ever even get there? There's no there there. Uh, and then at the same time, we're taught that never doing enough is actually a good thing, that we're supposed to be uh, always striving and always working a little bit harder, and that it's a bad thing to be complacent. Now, many of us confuse complacency and contentment, think we're ta- I'm talking about the same thing. I'm not. Those are not the same thing. But, you know, I, I, we always need to reach for more, or reach for the stars, or be all you can be. I follow some people that I don't agree with um, on social media just because I want to I understand what someone else that doesn't think or believe like I do thinks and believes and I want to understand and not throw stones. And so I follow this guy. His name's Elaine. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Botten. I think he's, he's French. But he's a, a very uh, a influential thinker. He's an atheist, doesn't believe in God. But he's also a very insightful person. He understands some things about how reality works. And and I saw this that he, he posted not long ago. This is what he said. Listen, think about this from the, through the lens of never being able to do enough. He said, there's a real correlation between a society that tells people they can do anything, the one we live in, and the existence of low self-esteem. Do, do you see that connection? So the message that we get sent over and over I- uh, again is what you do makes you enough. It proves your value. It proves your worth. So if you were to take an inventory of your world and you were to catalog your actions, the question that I would ask you is, when will you have done enough? When's that going to be? At what point will you go, okay, I've done enough. I'm I'm now valuable. I'm now worth something. When I was a kid uh, growing up, we used to have potlucks after church and... um, we would go, and there would be a long line, and then there would be uh, a lady down at the end of the line, and you would take your plate, and then you take your cup, and then the lady would stand there with the cup. I, they probably only did this for kids because they knew we would 
drink all the Kool-Aid. Um, but we'd go down there, and you would have to hold out your cup, and then the person pouring would say this little phrase. They would say, say when. And the trick was that you had to actually say the word when when you had enough. <laughs> when. And, and the, I remember the first couple of times I didn't catch on that that's how it worked. And I, they would say, say when. And I would go, that's enough. And they would go, nope, say when. Get it. And then I finally went, oh, I got to say when. Well, when? So when are you going to say when? When's it going to be enough? When are you going to be able to say when? So Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Philippi because he knows this is a human struggle. Now, if you remember from last week, if you were here, Paul writes this letter about the secret of contentment, how to find that you are enough and that you have enough and that you can do enough in Jesus. And then he writes this letter from jail. I routinely get these emails. uh, I don't know how they get my email address, but someone is soliciting, selling some service or product or idea. And it's always the same, no matter what it is. If you click on it, um, you go to their website or Facebook page or whatever, and it, it, they tell this story of sadness and woe and how they weren't enough and how they weren't doing enough and how they didn't have enough and, and how they learned this secret or this trick or this skill, and they can help you do the same. And then there's a picture of them sitting on a yacht in the Caribbean. And, and, and what the, the message they're sending is, I, I have done enough and I am now content. And the end game of contentment is I'm sitting on a yacht in the Caribbean drinking something fruity. And what I said to you last week was, Paul does not say that's the definition of contentment. It's a totally different definition because he writes this letter from prison. He's on death row. He's going to die there. And he writes this letter and says, I've found the secret to being content. It's not that. It's not in the circumstances that you have or how much you do. And then he lays out the lifestyle that enables him to be content. And then right here in this passage, what he does is he gives us a warning that you'll need to note along the path to contentment, and he starts it out in a really odd way if you don't know the backstory. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, and those mutilators of the f- flesh. Now, what in the world does that mean? What is, what is going on? Well, the Jesus movement started out um, within Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, he said that the kingdom of God was here, and that he was the Messiah, and that he was the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. And so the first people who followed Jesus were Jews. Um, they were, the, the main leaders that we read about in the New Testament were men. And there were some things that set Jewish people apart from the rest of humanity. And um, they were, number one, the fact that you were ethnically a Jewish person. That was your lineage. That was your heritage. That's the people you came from. Those are the people who, you, who, uh, who were your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And if you could trace back the, the right lineage, then you were you were one of God's people. Uh, one of the other things that, that set the Jewish people apart was their uh, diligence to the law. When, when Paul writes about the law in the New Testament, what he's referring to is the Old Testament. What we have is the, in, in the Christian Bible, uh, the Old Testament. And they were very rigorous in keeping the laws. There were 613 commands, or uh, the word in Hebrew for command is mitzvot, uh, or mitzvah. And those were the commands that you were keeping. They were zealous in keeping the law because that's how you were right with God. You would keep all the commands out of love and respect for God. 
In fact, today, if a, a young boy or a young girl uh, wants to become an adult, when they're, I think, around 13, they'll have a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. Uh, bar is the Hebrew word for son. Bat is the Hebrew word for daughter. So they become literally a son or daughter of the commands. They say, I, for the rest of my life, I'm going to keep these commands, and it's going to be the thing that defines my life, as I'm a righteous person because I keep all of the rules that God has set out for us. And then they had this really weird thing that set them apart in a physical way. Uh, it was only the males. They had this thing known as circumcision that was unique to the Jewish people. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, please ask your mother at lunch because I'm not going to tell you. But if you wanted to be a Jew, if you wanted to become Jewish, you had to keep all of those things. You had to somehow be grafted in into the family, and you had to keep all the laws, and then you had to have that marker in your body that said, I'm really serious about this. And so Paul was a Jewish man. He was born into a Jewish family, uh, and he was converted to the way of Jesus, and he saw himself and felt a, uh, a mission from God to go to the non-Jewish people, what we know as the Gentiles. You and I are Gentiles. And so he took the message of Jesus, and the message of Jesus was that you don't, to be in God's family, you don't have to be ethnically from a certain group of people. You don't have to keep the law. Um, You don't have to demonstrate it by cutting yourself physically. You can be in because God, who is rich in mercy, loves and forgives you and offers himself on the cross, and you can accept the merits of what he's done for you on the cross, have your past wiped away, have a whole new start. And you can follow the risen uh, risen Jesus who gives you hope and meaning in the present life. He paints a different picture of how you can be right with God. And so there were these people who were Jewish by ethnicity and by their keeping of the law and the marker in their body who went around on Paul's journey and followed him wherever he went. When he would go tell someone the message of Jesus, they would come in behind Paul and say, I know Paul told you that you're in because of the grace of God, but that's not really the case. I know God does love you, but if you really want to be right with God, what you have to do is you have to be circumcised, men. That's the way you can be right with God. They were called the Judaizers. And they dogged Paul all of his ministry. They would follow him and they would, they would try and change the thing. And, and so what they were saying was, if you want to follow Jesus, then you have to culturally become like us. It would be like if I was standing here and I was saying, listen, you've never been a follower of Jesus. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, that's great. You're in because of the grace of God. Oh, and by the way, you have to live an Amish lifestyle. It'd be like that. So they, what they were doing is they were, they were telling this ancient message that is a modern message, that is a current message to you and, and my heart, that what you do is what makes you enough. That's what they were saying, and that we feel that, don't we? One more deal, one more job, one more shift, one more nice thing. Then I will be enough. That, that's the human message that Paul is tapping into. And so what Paul says is he, he calls them names. He says, so watch out for those people, those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, dogs in that day uh, were not Fido and Rover that you had. Dogs were wild, and there would be packs of dogs, and if you were around them at the wrong time, they would tear you to pieces. And Paul says the people who add to the message of Jesus by saying you have to do more, they were, they're going to tear you to pieces. That message will tear you apart on the inside. And they're evildoers. They go around saying they're doing something good, but what they're really doing is they're causing evil because they're saying they're adding to the message of Jesus, and it's not, not at all the case. And, and he says they're really, they say that they have this special religious thing where you cut yourself but really all they are is mutilators of flesh. That's all they are. Don't let anything they say trick you. 
And so Paul says, uh, he says, well, they, they think that they have confidence in the flesh. In other words, what he means by that is they have confidence in the power of their abilities to make themselves okay. Confident that what they do makes them enough to themselves and to God. We, we feel this. We, feel, we, we, we do the same thing when we try to do enough to prove our value and worth. And then Paul says, and now listen, if, if anybody has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I do. And then he lists his pedigree. He lists his label. He says, I came from this family and this tribe, and I was trained by this person, and I have this as my parent, as my grandparent. I, if there's anybody who has any reason to say that what, where I come from and the label and the people group that I belong to makes me enough, it's me. It's me. I, I'm that guy. I'm the one who has the ability to say that. But then I want you to notice what he says about the label, about the, what the system he's been taught that he has to do enough to please God. And we're going to put it on the screen for you. It's in, in verse 7 and 8. He says, so whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, verse 8, I consider everything a, what's the word? Say it loud. Loss. Because of the surpassing worth, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have what? Lost all things. I consider them, what's the word? Garbage. Now, those are two really interesting words, loss and, and, and garbage. Uh, the loss means uh, a, a total wreck. Uh, there's nothing left. It would be like if you were in a car wreck and you walked away with your life, but the car was totaled. When Hudson, our oldest, was a baby, uh, we had a day woo. <laughs> it, it was a car um, made in Korea. I have nothing against the Koreans, but this is a terrible car. Um, it, it was really cheap when we bought it, and we bought it used, and uh, I was, on a Sunday, um, he was a baby, and so he would go to sleep in his car seat, and so I, we, just being a pastor, I've always driven separately to church on Sunday than my wife, and so I said, I'll put him in the car, and I'll take him for a, a ride, and, and I'll get him to go to sleep, so I put him in the car, and we lived in Virginia, and we were, dr- I was driving down this road that was this industrial park that had a back route to our house, and I thought, oh, you know, no one will be there, I can take a leisure, leisurely Sunday afternoon drive, it'll be great. So I'm, I'm doing that. I'm driving. There's no other cars. I don't see anybody there. No one in the parking lots of all these little industrial businesses. And, and uh, I, I, it's kind of a windy, curvy road. And, and at one point I went, you know, I don't want to go all the way around. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back and go the, the other way into our, into our neighborhood. And so I, I pulled over to the side and then I was just getting ready to, to go like this and turn and turn around. No cars. And, and behind was a little rise in the road and I did not see this car coming. Out of nowhere, it seemed to me, I turned, and the car hit and knocked the bumper off, spun the car around. Hudson didn't even wake up. We were, we were totally fine. But this tells you the value of a Daewoo. They, it ripped off our bumper and totaled the car. <laughs> we're nothing. It's garbage. <laughs> it was a total loss. It was worthless. It meant nothing. This is the word Paul's talking about. And then he says, uh, in fact, I consider it, he goes one step further, I consider it garbage. Now, this is not maybe the best translation. I'm going to tell you the, the word that he uses in a, in a roundabout way because it's, um, it's not a great word. Uh, but the, word, the Greek word there is uh, skubalon. Turn to your neighbor and say skubalon. Skubalon. You just said a bad word in church. Um, it, it, garbage doesn't quite do, a, a, do it justice because garbage means something is worthless. But what Paul is trying to say is that it's both worthless and revolting. Really, the, the probably more accurate uh, definition of that, uh, translation of that would be excrement. Uh, scubalon 
was the word that sailors would use when the seagulls would fly over their boat and empty their bowels on the boat. Do you understand what I'm saying? You picking up what I'm laying down? If there was a bumper sticker, it would say, Scubalon happens. Now, I'm not saying you need to use this in everyday language because you can be like, hey, it's good. I'm not saying that, okay? What I'm, what I'm trying to say is Paul is reaching for the worst possible thing he can use to describe his old life's ability to create new life. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And in the strongest language he possibly can come up with, he's saying, listen, whatever label you are counting on is scubalon. It doesn't matter how great it is. It doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter how many people think it's valuable and important. In comparison to Jesus, it is scubalon. Don't trust it. It's absolute scubalon. So then what he does is he gives us basically three mindset changes that we have to have if we're going to live a life that where we feel like we're enough and we're not always trying to prove our value and our worth. We're not always trying to earn our place and justify our existence. And I'm going to give them to you. Um, maybe you want to write them down because you're going, to need to, you're going to need these over this week as you wrestle with this. Here's the first one. Uh, if it's not Jesus, it's Scubalon. He says, uh, he says listen, I lost it all. and I, I, nothing, It was all nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is a man who's clear about what's important in life and what's about what's unimportant in life. You won't push him off course, and he's no longer defined by the label game. How would you like to live in that spot? So let me give you some examples of things we put um, uh, above Jesus, and I want to tell you that they're scubalon. If you are a conservative and you define yourself by your political views, over and above Jesus and Jesus' views of things, guess what? Your conservative politics is scubalon. If you have progressive politics and Jesus is the poster child for your view of things, or if conservative, if he's the poster child for your political views, progressive political views, and you put that above the way Jesus operates, guess what? Your progressive politics is scubalon. If you think your ethnicity somehow makes you right with God, now there are people who think this. You think, I'm the right, I'm the right kind. <laughs> that is scubalon. If you think your money is what makes you better than somebody else, or you think money is what is going to make you a valuable person, isn't it nuts that as a society we use the word net worth to describe a human being and it's a purely an economic term? If you think that, if you, your money is scubalon. If you think that some amendment of the American Constitution is more important and you'll defend that over against the message of Jesus and how Jesus valued people, guess what? It is scubalon. Jesus is here. Any other human system is here, including the American one. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? If it's not Jesus, it's scubalon. This is how Paul operated. Uh, then this is the other thing. You have to live from righteousness, not for righteousness. Let me, let me explain what I mean. We live so that we can earn the right. <laughs> we can be right. We earn, and then we want to hear this voice say to us, well done. 
But Paul says in verse, uh, in verse 8 and 9, he says, I, I do all this so I can gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, in other words, from keeping all the rules, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, a gift from God on the basis of faith. See, we live to justify ourselves and to be in the right and to be made right, and we're living for that voice. We're living, we're living for a voice to tell us that we're right, we're in the right. And Paul is saying Jesus just does not operate this way. Jesus gifts the right to people. Um, you might hear someone talk about it like this. Good Friday, we'll talk about it a little bit. But when Jesus was on the cross, some people refer to that as what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me and for the mess of humanity uh, is, is referred to as the finished work of Christ. What that points to is in the letter of Hebrews in the New Testament, the letter of Hebrews is, a, is a, an entire uh, line of argument about how Jesus is better than the Jewish sacrificial system that everyone in that day was trapped by. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And it paints a picture of how the Jewish people would have to go every year, and the high priest would go every year, and he would stand, and he would make these sacrifices, and then he could never sit down because the sacrifice was never made, and how Jesus is the true high priest, and when he went on the cross, it was a finished act. And the, the beautiful phrase, one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible, he says, and after he made sacrifices for sins, unlike the other high priests who just stand because the, the sacrifice is going to have to be made again next year, after he had made sacrifices for sin, he sat down. In other words, it's absolutely finished. Completely done. Completely complete. It's the finished work of Christ. And he offered this sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Because that's us, right? We stand day after day. We keep trying. We give it one more try. We give it a little bit more energy. We give it one more effort. If I do this, then everybody will think I'm okay. And instead, we're working for righteousness. But when you understand the finished work of Christ, that, that Christ gifts you the merits of what he did for you on the cross, then you work from righteousness. I'm, I'm already accepted. I'm already loved. I can trust in the finished work of Christ on my half. I'm in because of grace, not because of what I do, and I'm free from the trap. I, I just gotta, I gotta ask you this, okay? Have you ever done that? Or are you still trusting in your ability to make yourself right? This is the third thing. Third mindset change that Paul gives us is that we have to be a resurrection person. And you can only do this after you've understood the righteousness of Jesus. You have to be a, a resurrection pers person. This is, uh, this is Palm Sunday, Whole, the beginning of Holy Week. Christians around the globe are celebrating this these seven this seven-day period. On Thursday, some churches will have what's called a Monday Thursday from the Latin word mandate. Uh, the mandate Jesus gave his disciples to love one another. And then on Good Friday, we'll celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. And then Easter Sunday. And, and that Holy Week kicks off today on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And everyone, like our kids did, they waved palm branches. But have you ever wondered why they waved palm branches? Um, the reason they waved palm branches is 150 years before, a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus uh, led a Jewish revolt over the, the, the tyrannical ruler and overthrew them. And in celebration of his act, they waved palm branches as, as they said, God saved us. And they used this word, Hosanna. Now, maybe you've heard that word, Hosanna. It sounds like a really good churchy word. You're like, oh, Hosanna, yay. It means God saves. And it's a political act that God is going to save us. And so the Jewish people on Palm Sunday were thinking that Jesus had come in and was going to say, finally, the people with that other label, they're wrong. We have the right label. We're doing it right. And Jesus, you're proving it right now. And so we're going to wave the palm branches because like Judas Maccabeus, you're going to overthrow the bad people. 
Now, to, to kind of get a flavor of what that meant, that palm branch and yelling, ho- shouting Hosanna, it would be like when you go to Soldier Field and they play God Bless America or they play the American, uh, the national anthem and the soldier comes out. We kind of all know what that means. In their day, they all knew what it meant when you shouted Hosanna and you waved the palm branch. That means God's going to overthrow those people with the wrong label because we got the right label. And, and what Jesus does on Palm Sunday is he goes, no, no, I didn't come for that system. <laughs> That's your system. That's the system of people. I didn't come for that kind of system. I came to die for everybody, the people with the right label and the people with the wrong label. I came to do away with the label system entirely to show people they no longer have to do enough to prove that they're valuable and worth worth something because I came to die because they are valuable and worth something, so I came to offer my life because they're so valuable. And then then I'm going to rise. So Paul says it in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, and, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Listen, if you've beaten death like Jesus has, you're no longer defined by the death system. And now you can live free. You're free to love. You're free to forgive. You're free to be animated by a desire like Paul, Jesus. You're free to serve. I'll give you a really practical way that you can be a resurrection person this week. Because a resurrection person, once they understand that they're living from Jesus' righteousness, not for someone saying, you're right. They can become a person, a, a resurrection person. That means they're a person of hope. And they can see that the system around them sets people up to have to pay. And so they go, I, I'm, I live in a different system. So when you came in, there's this, uh, this uh, sticker on your seat that says, for the region. We want to be a church that's for the region and, and build disciples who care about the region and their work and uh, in every possible way. And so here's what I'd like you to do. If you take this sticker and, and somewhere put it on your car, you put it on your bumper, you put it in the back window, something like that. And then this week... Um, while you are going through the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever, um, here's what I'd like you to do. People are going to see the sticker and they're going to go, what in the world does that mean? And I want you to pay for the people behind you. Now, maybe you want to time this so that you're not pulling ahead of a car with 10 children. Um, <laughs> that's up to you. <laughs> but they operate by the system like everybody operates by the system that you, you only get what you pay for. <laughs> And you're going to demonstrate there's a different system. That you can get what you didn't pay for. And that God's about radical grace and you can live a different kind of a life. And we're going to do some stuff with this on Easter Sunday about for the region. You'll see more of that. But that's a, that's a tangible way you can be, you can practice resurrection this week. Well, I want to invite you to pray um, because I, I, I want you to think about this and I want you to take this home. I want you to do something with this because we're all in this system where you earn your value by what you do. We're all in it. It's the human system. Jesus comes and offers a different way, a better way, a fuller way, a more complete way. And I'd like for you to live in that way. So would you uh, just simply bow your head, close your eyes, this is just for, so you can have a personal moment. No one's looking at you. Um, they're not paying attention to you. They're paying attention to their, their world. And I wonder what you need to lay down I wonder what you need to let go of. I wonder what scubalon you're holding on to as a, as a good thing. And you need to name it and say, that's exactly what it, what it is. I'm trying to use this to earn my value and worth, God, and I've let it go.
And maybe for the very first time, you simply need to understand that God has done everything that needs to be done so that you can be right with him. You don't have to, earn, you don't have to live so that you are working for something. The finished work of Christ is available to you for your mess. And you just need to pray a simple prayer like, okay, God, I'm tired of living in the old system where I have to prove everything. I may not understand all this, but I know I want it. So come into my life and forgive me. Give me a new start. I want to be a resurrection person. So I'm trusting you to guide me as I give you my life. Got so many of us in this room, uh, we're, we're trying to get your attention, and we haven't yet discovered the message of Jesus that we already have your attention. You just want ours. So Jesus, thank you that on the cross you did everything necessary for us. You did away with the label system. You did away with the performance system. You did away with the, the, the system that says you're only something when you work really, really hard. And you offer us a different way. We want to step into that way. We want to live in that way. We want to live a different kind of life. We want to be grace people. We want to be um, righteous people. We want to be resurrection people. We want to be hope people. We want to be people for uh, the world that you love so much because you've changed us so much. And so uh, we give ourselves to you again today. We commit ourselves to you again today. We offer ourselves again to you today. Thank you that because of you, now we're enough. Thank you. Pray this in your name. Everybody that wanted it said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would. Uh, we give a blessing as you go, and you'll see people around you holding out their hands. It's their way of saying they'd like to receive a blessing, and if you're comfortable with that, you can do that. If not, it's okay, too. You can receive this blessing. I mean, you know the God who doesn't live inside the label system? His label for you is... You're the one he loves. You're the one he wants. May you know that as you know that you are sent now to love God, to love people, serve the world in his name. Hug someone. Tell me you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer.